This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello there. Welcome. This is the Territory Story Podcast, weekend edition or weekends with Walshie. My name is Peter Gowers. Back from the Ozarks, Mr. Leon Logan-Nathan. How are you, mate? Good, mate. Good. Still uh, still recovering a little bit and... uh don't have a lot of time to recover because I'm heading off again in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Once you start, you can't stop, right? Uh, yeah, look, oh, don't get me wrong, man. I love it. I love it. But it is brutal. There's no question yeah, about yeah. it. <laughs> well, because you still got to maintain your normal work and you know, everyday life plus oh, at an overseas conference to it. That is, that is a very brutal part. But, yeah. uh, but also flying east is brutal. You know, yeah, of course. Uh, you, you 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 gain a day, but you know the first first day I woke up at uh, four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. The second day I woke up at five, and I thought, "Yeah, it's getting better." Yeah. Third, third day I woke up at three. It's just, uh-huh. it's a it's a killer. But flying back, um, yeah, like it was it was fine. Well, I've got a piece of advice for you. It's one word. And you won't have the issue anymore. It's called melatonin. I've heard about this. <laughs> <laughs> melatonin, 10 milligrams will do everything you need. Nice right. natural remedy and get you sleeping back on uh, your normal schedule whenever you want. Right. Well, well, we better introduce our special guest so I can ask him a few questions about this. Let's do it. From all the way from the NT Independent Online Newspaper, <laughs> banned from Labor press conferences, but not from the Territory Story podcast, Mr. Chris Walsh. Good evening. Hey, guys. Good to see you both. Yeah, you too. Chris, uh, yeah. uh, I, I met a, quite a few of your countrymen, actually, in Mexico. Uh, it seems <laughs> they, they all fly south for the winter. Yeah, that's right. That, that that's true. It's getting a little late in the year for that, but it would still be cold in in western Chris, parts in the center. Chris, they were telling me that there was massive snow before they left. Yeah, yeah. You know? And yeah. one guy said um, he just decided he wasn't going to dig his car out of the snow anymore, and he just parked <laughs> on top of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what you do at some point. You just throw your shovel down and say, I've had enough. Like I said, like that, that's the one thing that I do not miss about Canada is shoveling snow. <laughs> yeah. It's Such terrible. a foreign concept for us. Yeah. yeah. It's the, other, the other thing was that these Canadians uh, turned up to the conference a week early. Uh, to, seriously, I'm not joking. Uh, to and go that came to get back into it. Uh, to, they spent a, a week. Is it Los Cabos or something like that? Uh, some, uh, some. Uh, um, uh, what do you Cabo San Lucas. Yeah, that's that sounds like it. Yeah. 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 So resort just, town. Resort town, and they said yeah. that that it was like as if they hadn't left Canada because it was just full of Canadians. <laughs> 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 yeah. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, no, it was uh, it was an interesting trip. Um, it's interesting to go to new countries, you know, new places like Mexico. I mean, that's it's such a foreign place for you know people like us in Australia because it's so yeah. far away. And um, and uh, I was looking forward to actually learning about the country a bit more and about you know all the little provinces and how they all fit together and. Interestingly enough, very similar to Europe, you know, the, the Northerners claim that they're the workers. Uh, the guys in the middle, uh, are the you know, uh, I don't know, are the um, are the 
people that I don't know, eat or something like that. And the guys down south are the ones that bludges, you know. <laughs> but uh, oh, the food was really interesting, Chris. I mean, I know a lot of, Mer- of Americans love Mexican food. Yeah, right? like the burritos and the tacos. American Mexican, yeah, Tex Mex stuff. <laughs> well, you know, so I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna launch into this. I'm going to go in there with an open mind, and I'm gonna try all this Mexican food. And I gotta tell you, mate, I don't get it. I mean, it was, you know, <laughs> There's a lot of beans, isn't there? Oh, the, the, the beans they fry the hell out of those yeah. things. It turns into a paste. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a big fan of Mexican food either. Well, gotta be honest. I, uh, and, you know, I even tried the grasshoppers, which uh, they were raving about, a bit salty. Um, <laughs> I tried the worms. Uh, you did, I did the whole lot. And i got to say, I came back thinking, yeah, look, night, you know, some, it was okay. It was okay, but it doesn't get my taste buds, you know, uh, like on, on 10 like a Luxo would, you know. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't get the Lux either, but I, I will just say that the only worm you should be ingesting in Mexico is in the yes. bottom of a tequila bottle. Tequila, <laughs> correct. <laughs> I, uh, no, I didn't get into the alcohol too much, although I did try some Mexican wine, and i got to say it was pretty good. I was, yeah, red wine. They're, yeah. Yeah, apparently they're famous for it. Over yeah, there. I could see that. Well, they're famous for some other stuff too, Leon. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I did. I didn't get to hear much of it. But you, you like this story though. I, I, I spent some time with the host firm, and um, and and we went. I went out to their their um their place on the weekend, and and hang out with them and a few other uh, of of their other colleagues as well as their families. And I said, look, uh, guys, so tell me, like when Trump came out and said. We're going to build a wall, and Mexico's going to pay for it. How, how did you guys take that? And they said, "Oh, look, it's a really sensitive subject," which surprised me. You yeah. know, mm, I yeah. said, "Sensitive." I said, "Weren't you offended?" You know, because I was offended, and I'm not even Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, "Oh, well, you know, we get, um, you know, the, the, the U.S. is 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 a big part of our economy. Um, you know, there's a lot of." a lot of money that flows through Mexico because of that. I mean, I, I, know, I know where you guys are going to go with that now. But, uh, <laughs> but, Someone's uh, making money there. Right? Yeah, that's it. yeah, but uh, so they, they, they said it's, uh, you know, it's a bit of a, they have to walk a bit of a tightrope with the U.S., which I thought was surprising. Yeah. I thought they would have gone, you know, and given them the middle finger and said, you know, here's what you can do with your uh, fence or your wall. Yeah. Um, in fact, build it because we don't want you guys coming down here either. <laughs> so I don't that's know. it. Yeah, yeah. That's what an Aussie would have said. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, you maybe years ago. Yeah, but years ago. I mean, this is the whole problem. With, well, and I don't know if it's the problem with diplomacy, but that's the issue is that everybody's worried about the, the trade between nations and what's in it that they don't stand up for what they believe in as much anymore because those economic ties are there and they're more important than really honor or, you know, whatever type of national pride might be at stake there. Well, let's just be careful what we say. You know, it's like we've seen with the coalition here and dealing with China and labor dealing with China, like they still don't want to really, you know, blow anything up here because we're so dependent, you know, on China as a trading partner. So mm. well, are you sure? Because I thought uh, old mate um, Peter Dutton was, was Well Dutton. Well Dutton's in whatever mode he's in right Leave now. Skull <laughs> out of this. Yeah, yeah, RoboCop there. He really looks like RoboCop without the mask. 
But um, yeah, look, well, when, when he's saying prepare for war, I mean, I don't even know what the hell that was all about. <laughs> when, Tried war. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, it's all ramping up now, right? And you, you'd want to do that to, uh, uh, you know, get that sense of nationalism or appeal to that sense of nationalism in the public during a federal election. You got to play politics, too. There's the economic thing, but there's also politics to play. So Yeah. Yeah, but on the subject of trade in Mexico, after they joined NAFTA, they you know they told me that uh, NAFTA, the, the, the US yeah. uh, decided well uh, they couldn't sell their oranges anywhere, so they dumped them in Mexico and just shattered the Mexican <laughs> orange growers. Yeah, well, way. so uh, it's um, it's an interesting thing anyway. But look, uh, now gl- glad to be back and uh, looking forward to having a chat with you guys about some stories uh, I listened to the two podcasts that you you guys recorded without me and uh, sounds like there's been a lot of things happening here Chris a lot of a lot of bad craziness Leon let's be honest this place is I don't know where it's going I don't know when when it ends but it all seems to be coming to a head here at some point something's going to break the pressure is there the um the public trust is waning even further than when you left mm. and um you know and the confidence in the government the confidence in the police executive management team uh all these things just keep getting tested every day and you, you look no further than water um and really you know you had malandary mccarthy out there this week saying this is a humanitarian crisis you've got 500 people displaced because of violent rioting and mm. you know buildings being torched and whatever um and yet somehow the anti-government let it get to this position and and now accepts no responsibility i think nicole madison said she went out there on tuesday this has been going on for months and it escalated and it got really bad when when somebody ended up dead and we talked about it a bit last week but um, like I, I, I don't, I just don't understand how leaders let a situation get to that point. And there's clearly some issues with police and the uh, territory response group and why that hasn't been deployed still. Um, and you know, uh, yeah, and we talked about that last week. You know, our sources saying that they didn't have enough people in the in the response group to 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 go out there and actually restore order so they let things go but then you you know you're putting people in a, in harm's way when you do that and of course look yeah i mean i i get that you know this is a, a you know a community issue and a cultural issue and warring um, factions what have you but uh uh you you got to restore order order at some point and you can't so you know now we'll see how they're dealing with that but I think it's just another thing where the confidence in the government to handle crises as they emerge has taken a hit over this. Mm. But, you know, yeah, we, we move on. I mean, there'll be another yeah. catastrophe soon, and this one still hasn't been resolved. So, Yeah, just when you think they couldn't take a further hit, they've, uh, they've taken another one. But, look, that probably works us in nicely to the first story too, Chris, because uh, we've talked about the um, – lack of confidence in regards to the police force. And uh, now there's something to talk about those at the other end of the system, and that is prison officers uh, uh, to take strike uh, take strike action right across the territory. What's happening with that? Yeah, so look, they lined this up. I think it was last Friday they started talking about this and planning this. Uh, the United Workers Union NT, uh, they organized uh, the corrections guards who are 
you know, unionize with them to to walk off for 12 hours on Monday. Of course, that was May Day. Uh, so they they walked off the job and they joined uh, the marches around through the city. Um, and then you had today even in Alice Springs. So there was some confusion last week. We, we thought it looked like they were going out on the same time, but it looks like Darwin went out on, on Monday and Alice Springs went out today on Thursday. Now, what these guards are calling for or what they're protesting, I guess, is the four-year pay freeze which is starting to come back and look pretty bad for everybody with the CPI the way it is now. And the, the, mm. this, this completely shot up 6%. So, um, yeah, the guards are saying they're not happy about this. Uh, now, the corrections members and firefighters have been bargaining with the NT government since the middle of 2021. But they say the government has refused to, quote, offer wages in line with cost of living increases or address chronic short staffing. That's a big one. Pay freezes and wage offers, they continue, are well below inflation, and we'll see workers go backwards. And uh, the UWU NT Secretary, Erin Early, said, I'm afraid many of our skilled essential and emergency services workers will leave the NT. As a result of this, I urge the government to consider the long-term impacts of their four-year wage freeze. Now is not the time. Uh, yeah, and Erin Early, you know, and it's in that unusual um, I would say even unenviable position of being uh, both the head of the United Workers Union and the president of the party still, of the Labour Party, I mean, the oh, Gunner wow. Labour Party. Yeah. How's that work? Well, I'm not well. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you I that. No. And um, look, I don't, I don't think she's a big fan of Michael Gunner's, but at the same time, you know, I, yeah. Anyway, let's just at the same time. Uh, who is? <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. Uh, so, yeah, so this, I guess, made some people nervous. This whole uh, talking about uh, prison guards walking out, and uh, we know that that sometimes the inmates like to walk out, and so uh, and that's just the thing, right? Like, if you're going to left do, unattended, they do. If you're going to do time in jail for something. You do it in Darwin. Like the time just seems to go by faster here than anywhere else in the world that I've been. But also you can come and go as please. So it's a, <laughs> hey, it's a good but to do it. There's no in-house learning. We learned about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that depends. <laughs> it's around. <laughs> um, yeah. So they were worried about walkouts. So the, uh, the corrections, of course, correctional services, this uh, new guy who came in, Commissioner Matthew Varley put out a release uh, just telling people that they've undertaken, quote, extensive contingency planning for the walkouts in Darwin and Alice Springs. Routine operations within the Darwin and Alice Springs custodial facilities will be impacted by these 12-hour work stoppages. However, correctional services will have sufficient staff on duty to ensure the security and safety of prisoners and staff at all times. So, um, yeah, look, you know, when you get into those kind of situations, when you have I guess, you know, when they take these, this kind of industrial action, it's showing that uh, how important they are to the general, you know, running of the Northern yep. Territory. Um, so they're making their points clear. It's, it's interesting because the firefighters are also under this protected action, too. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with them soon, too. But don't expect the firefighters not to come out and... Um, and, mm. and do something as well, take some sort of action here because they're just as unhappy with, with how this pay deal is going down. So this is the pay freeze that affects all Northern Territory government employees, right? Yeah, but 
the way they've kind of broken this up that the different different unions vote on at different times and approve right. it. So CPSU, as we know, approved it, and then they screwed up the paperwork the government did. The Public Employment Commissioner, remember? What happened that? with that, Chris? Yeah, from what I understand, I think that they just they put that back. You know, I'm going to have to check, double check, but as I recall, it was we were told that that it was it was finalized, that it was um, amended where they needed to amend it and it was refinalized. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll double check that, Leon, and just make sure. But we haven't heard anything. We haven't heard anybody complaining about it at this point. So, so this was the situation where uh, there was a pay freeze on uh, NT government employees and then there was a new deal negotiated which actually unfreeze the pay freeze and got everybody a pay rise plus a yearly kicker the bonus there yeah that four thousand dollar bonus for the first year and then what it worked out to ten ten thousand over the four years but i think um yeah when you're looking at the the cost of everything going up i think they're probably concerned but but you know all of us are not private in private industry as well yeah um so yeah this, this one's yeah, you know, that that whole bonus and that he said he had gotten the money. Look, we got the budget coming up. Hopefully we'll get a little more clarity around where that yeah. money came from because uh, that's, it never added up, right? I mean, he was saying... I no, no, they, they flicked 400 because of um, uh, not getting the COVID jabs and then that was yeah. basically yeah. they had a free-for-all to pay for anything they wanted, <laughs> yeah. despite the fact they're already running in a deficit. Yeah, well, and then look, you know, I think the NT News had a story. Who's going to be most affected in the NT by the rate rise federally? Well, guess who? <laughs> anti government's going to be affected. And they didn't even say that. They, they were talking about something else. They didn't even, didn't even enter their mind. Hadn't that, figured yeah, that one out yet. Money ain't so cheap. It's as cheap as it used to be, as they used to tell you guys. Remember, right. we're back on uh, It's going up yeah. month by month. Yeah. So let's see in the budget what they have for that, too. Um but yeah, look, I don't, I don't know. Just back to the uh, to the prison guards um, taking this action. You know, I don't know where that ends eventually. Gunners, uh, you know, uh, well, pretty steadfast it, about that. So, are they going to take further action? What's that going to look like? And when does this get resolved? Well, uh, based on what we've known so far in the first six years, uh, he'll say they don't get anything, and then uh, they'll go to the negotiation table and get whatever they want or get hmm. something. Yeah, well, look, that that was always kind of the uh, the thought process behind it all was that he was going to change this anyway before too long and that this four-year thing wasn't going to last four years. It looked good at the time and to get things done and to say he was doing something about the how to control costs. But I, I, I think we're going to see that this isn't saving anything either in all of this. So, yeah, yeah it's just politics. So we'll see. There's absolutely no doubt that these uh, the frontline workers who – Definitely deserve to be looked after, though, no doubt. Yep, yep, absolutely. <laughs> right. Okay, well, uh, the next story is an interesting one, Chris. Uh, Daniel Fletcher was the former chief executive officer of the Litchfield Council and, in fact, has been on our podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so he, he left under mysterious circumstances. but He uh, did. Uh, but uh, before before leaving... Uh, he told councillors he had a moral, ethical and professional obligation to report them to the anti-government for their decision to increase the speed limit on Girawin Road earlier this year, informing them in a briefing note that their decision was unqualified, 
highly irresponsible and deficient in adhering to good decision-making principles. <laughs> yeah, how would you like to be told that? <laughs> That's the definition of going out swinging, I believe. Yeah, well, <laughs> look, now this is this precipitated his, his departure. And, um, you know, was this the reason? I mean, we still don't have an answer on that. I know that the mayor, Doug, uh, Doug Barton, uh, was on ABC, was a very colorful interview he did on ABC radio where he was talking about how they had to get rid of him because he was too progressive for something. Ooh. This guy Fletcher. So look, uh, this is the same region that, uh, <laughs> not, not, not the same council, but the same area that was uh, considering the hoods and the whipping of uh, those. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, they used to have meetings on the riverbanks. <laughs> that's <right>. <laughs> and uh, that's true. That's absolutely true. And then, yeah, the Litchfield branch of the CLP said, hey, let's put on yeah. uh, hoods and run around and cane some people. So, yeah. There's that kind of craziness going on. But, you know, as it, as it relates to council out there, uh, just before we get into all that, I just think that, 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 and this is David Wood's story, and it's an excellent story. But I think what you start to see here in this issue, and this issue is very serious, but what you start to see is maybe where some of that conflict was with their chief executive and council. He, he wrote this. So Fletcher writes this to them. Um, uh, to do, do, let me just make sure it was Fletcher. Yeah, Mr. Fletcher writes this. Concerningly, there appears to be a common assumption by many elected members, though not all, that decisions should be informed by the expertise contained within the elected member body rather than by the objective professional and technical advice of specialist staff or engaged consultants. He says, and he goes on, this is symptomatic of the platform on which many elected members consider themselves having been elected. That is fighting for a laid back rural area, retaining quote, our lifestyle and not being impeded by restrictions, legislative or regulatory, and a misguided belief that the administration needs to be held to account for unreasonable rate increases and poor decisions around expenditure and budget rather than worked with to implement the direction of the current council. So he's basically saying there, you know, this rogue bunch of misfits here who don't want to do anything, want to blame council for the tough, or want to blame staff, sorry, for the tough decisions that they have to make. And they want to be seen as laid back, retaining the rural lifestyle and all this stuff. Um, you know, the stuff that, that Kezia Parrick rambles on about all the time. Um, <laughs> so, you know, this is clearly, this is a council where they were having some issues and, and then he leaves mysteriously. I don't know if it's the middle of the night, but he's gone and he's not taking questions and, and David Wood went to him. But I want to get back into this issue because we start to, to understand a little bit more too. So what had happened was they voted uh, four to three in their December 14th meeting to increase the speed limit from 70K to 80K on a 2.7 kilometer stretch of Garen Ween Road. Uh, um, now, what had happened was that the decision was not actually informed by any community consultation, although mm. it appears some people have claimed that, and, and it ignored professional advice. Oh, yes. So that's a bit of an issue. Now, <laughs> just a bit. What happened was a resident out there in Litchfield in the in the, in the Litchfield um, district 
he went and filed freedom of information because he was asking questions about this and he saw something wasn't wasn't happening properly here so he files an foi council um they first withheld turning over the memo from fletcher but it was eventually released after an appeal he appealed that and they gave it to him um yeah so now the decision then they then hold another meeting in january where they overturn this decision because they're given all of this information that showed that you know yeah what they did was completely inappropriate um so they they overturn it again but the question still remains around what you know how they how they acted when they made that decision in the first place and what yeah they they you know that Fletcher said was a continued disregard for professional specialized expert advice. And you get into legal issues here and you get into insurance issues. Correct. Yes. And we had another story where the insurer was saying like, this is negligent. <laughs> like, this is, you're going to get people who are going to, they're going to be lawsuits here yes. and you and guys you cannot win. Yeah. And we're and not going to insure you. Yeah. You can't explain why you increase the speed limit just because, Hey, that's the rural lifestyle. Because you want to get home earlier. Yeah. So, yeah. And it seems like a, a small thing, but look also that, that, that space of road did have a safety audit done in 2016 when council was planning to apply for black spot, federal black spot funding. Um, and there was also some other, uh, things along with crash data from the 12 months leading up to the meeting, but that original audit was not provided to counselors. Now we know that. Now who had the responsibility to do that? Did Fletcher, um, yeah, there's some other things going on here too. This isn't the full story. It's not kind of done yet. And I think there's a lot more to it, but I know that there's, there's a little bit more that, uh, that David Wood's working on and, uh, we'll explain it more. But, uh, yeah, I mean, something's gone on here. And if you're talking about misconduct or willful disregard for professional advice, yeah, you don't want to do that when you're in council. Um, no, I, I thought the stark reality was that um, it was basically uh, either disregarding or not taking into account uh, the professional opinions. And I thought once the insurers got involved and said, this is not going to go well if there's a problem, that uh, you know, the obvious choice was obviously to, to re-amend the, um, the speed limit back. Although I can say from first-hand experience, I'd love the extra 10 kilometers when I'm traveling along that road, yeah. but uh, you got to take health and safety into account. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you, you got to listen to what the experts say. And if they want to slow down because there is mm-hmm. an inherent risk and you're looking at the crash data there, that there were issues there that, that yeah, when they did a, a, a report on in 2016 or 2018, that they found some stuff that there were issues there. So you got to, you got to take everything in. You can't just go in there and like yeah. a cowboy and just, um, you know, because you want something. Correct. And I also thought once they had um, applied for the black spot funding, um, you know, common sense would say you can't really do that and then go and jack the speed limit up. No. Well, look, and and we we can get into a little bit more about the mentality here, too, that was on uh, Friday, January 14th, three days after the note from Fletcher, Doug Barton, the mayor, had emailed his fellow councillors expressing his anger at what the chief executive had written. Of course, it's highly critical words that he threw around. And he said this, and this showed up in the FOI, this document. I refused to answer the phone on Tuesday and until 4.30 p.m. on Wednesday from the council due to my disappointment and anger 
with the email that was sent during the briefing on Tuesday night. The mayor of Litchfield right. Council, Doug Barton, wrote, I have had meetings with Daniel and Diana today to express my displeasure. Uh, anyway, I feel it is important for me to express the below and we all get over it. Maybe I've got some of it wrong. However, this is how I understand it. Now, in an, in an email to a counselor, to another counselor, Kevin Harlan, on the Sunday, January 16th, he had spoken about Fletcher's. Now, he said he had with an unnamed friend. And this gets really weird. He says, a friend rung me back later that night and said, you guys have been set up. I can bet my bottom dollar that his, Fletcher's email is already in at the department. And he is telling them that you're all a mob of cowboys and that the department needs to sack us all and that he can't work with us or something similar, he wrote. Uh, then uh, Barden had written that and continued, he told me that this is serious. His friend, who we discuss his council matters with. <laughs> um, While not answering the phone. Yeah, and that I needed to call a special council meeting and sort this out ASAP. Admittedly, my friend does not know the detail. Um, now, Barden, Barden wouldn't <laughs> answer the questions by, by Woody. Uh, about Fletcher, nor answer uh, whether the former CEO had made a complaint to the government about counselors who said he had a duty to. We don't know if he did. Barton also would not say who the quote-unquote friend was and why he would be talking about such sensitive council business with them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so which this he, one. Which he knows nothing about. Now, now he's come back and he said uh, uh, that he that Litchfield Council, quote, strives to follow the Local Government Act and its decision-making you would think would be a, a bare minimum here. But anyway, uh, but he also neglected to specify if they followed the requirements of the act in this particular instance. Yeah. Uh, he said, as the mayor of Litchfield Council, I encourage all members to openly express their views at council meetings so we can make the best informed decisions for our community. Uh, and then he just said, council has commenced its recruitment process for a new CEO to lead the organization to deliver on council's priorities. And I do not consider it productive to make any comment on the actions of the former CEO. So, um, yeah, there's more, more going on there than, yep. than we know right now. But uh, I, do like the I do like the use of the word strives in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah, like this is a bare minimum thing. You yes. follow the local government act. Yes. But, hey, we try to. We don't, we don't yeah. always do it, but we strive to. When we built the football stadium, we strive to uh, dog us that. <laughs> yeah. You know, intentions, yeah. Best <laughs> intentions is Litchfield Council exactly. have. Yeah, so we should yeah. leave them alone. These damn do-gooders. Yeah. Look, yeah, like I said, though, there, there's going to be more coming out on this, guys, that I already know about, that Woody knows about, and uh, I think mm -hmm. there's a lot more that this is going to lead to. It's all a bit wacky out there in Litchfield right. at this point. Well, we'll look forward to hearing more about that down the track. And uh, let's move on to the next story. And uh, a senior police officer uh, who has been suspended for criticising the NT police top brass, one of my favourite expressions, uh, has now had his pay uh, reinstated, although he remains suspended, which, which I would think is the best situation you can have, really. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I, in talking to some people who've, who've had that, you know, after a while, it gets a little yeah, much, right. they want to be doing something and they really can't. Yeah. And um, especially contributing, even when their friends are out there. Fair call. Uh, yeah, doing I, this. I must it. say, they, they more than likely have uh, much more uh, desire to help the public than it seems that I do. 
<laughs> a little more selfless. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah, look, well, but this is really what this issue comes down to, Pete. And um, I, we'll, let's go back to Saturday morning. Um, we spoke to Sergeant Mark Casey, and um, he had written uh, an opinion piece, kind of an op-ed here on his feelings as a 25-year veteran, well-respected to him, I might add, 25-year veteran. I mean, you go, I don't think you can find anybody who would say a bad word about him. I've talked to other police about him. Everybody said this guy's highly regarded. He's mm. respected by everybody in the police. Uh, you know, 25 years. His father was an officer who spent 33 and a half years in the NT too. So yep. these guys, between them, 60 years there uh, of NT police service. So wow. now the reason that he came forward was uh, he wasn't happy with the way things were going. And we know that, and we've talked about this a lot with, with Jamie Chalker and his poor leadership. And, and, you know, the rank and file members really, you know, this is really coming to a head here now. And, and so Mark Casey writes this piece and he says, unless someone speaks up, there will be no change. No. And, and so he, he knows that by speaking out like this, that it's going to cause some turmoil. It's going to cause some turmoil for him. But he also knows that he's also at a point where, and you can read all of this in here. Um, you know, and what I know about it too. And, and, and he's at a point where he can, he feels that he can no longer sit back and be silent and just let Jamie Chalker and the executive run what he calls their authoritarian approach, uh, to managing police. And so, you know, a lot of this has to do with the, uh, the charging of, of Zach Rolf, of course, uh, other parts of this has to do with, um, just the way the whole management team is really managing things right now. And, uh, yeah, look, he, he, I thought it was a really good piece. I thought it was really effective. He did do a, a good job of articulating exactly the feelings. You know, when I, when, when I speak to other police officers and, and, and David Wood does, um, you know, this is what we're hearing from them. And this guy kind of crystallized it all into this, into this opinion piece that he wrote. And, you know, anyone who hasn't read it, but I think everybody's probably read it by now. It's, uh, it was huge reads on this one. Uh, but just, you know, some of the highlights here. I mean, he had, he had said that I have concerns about the actions of the executive officers in the anti-police, in particular, the police commissioner, Jamie Chalker. This concern relates to the authoritarian management as a whole, and specifically in relation to the charging of Zach Rolf. I have observed the events since the day of the shooting and have held my judgment until now, as I feel that unless someone speaks up, there will be no change. It is time for someone to stand up and allow the discourse to happen rather than sitting in fear, waiting for someone else to take action. There is the appearance, he said, that there has been deception, dishonesty, or at the very least, mistruths in relation to the circumstances of the decision to charge Zach with murder so quickly after the event. Um, you know, he goes on there and he talks about like what a lot of our reporting uh, had gone into. It was based on uh, investigators' notes about Chalker's involvement, despite Chalker's public denials that he wasn't and these reports that contradict what Chalker has said publicly. He goes into that. Um, 
you know, but he, he, he talks about this, about was it, it was your duty, your responsibility to step in and make it right. Or is that something, is there something you haven't told us about this? Because, you know, can he just say that he's at arm's length and that he had nothing to do with this? All? I mean, he's, he is the police commissioner. Um, you don't get the option, uh, Sergeant Casey writes, of keeping things at arm's length or burying your head in the sand and blaming others. It is your duty, your responsibility to step in and make it right if something was going wrong there. Or is there something you haven't told us, he writes. Um, he gets into some other issues here, but uh, to, I'm, I'm trying to this book, Confidential Agreements from the Investigators. I mean, this is a pretty good summation of everything that's happened. Uh, yeah, he says, look, we are police officers. We are human and work pretty hard in difficult circumstances. We are not perfect, but you know that. Um, he said, uh, and that was in relation to the, the text messages that were released, that, where Zach Rolf was saying that Alice Springs was a shithole and that, you know, it was cowboy stuff that he and the other cops were doing there. Um, he's calling that a smear campaign. Uh, did you produce any examples of the good work that he did? He had his phone interrogated. Um, yeah, he talks about that too, though. He said, look, in relation to it being like the Wild West, which is what Zach Rolf wrote, he said, I've been involved in both military operations and anti-police operations. And I don't think it's unreasonable to say the anti-police is like the Wild West compared to the military. <laughs> so, That's um, interesting. but then he says this, and then he says, but we all say things in private that aren't meant to be heard in precisely, the public arena. Precisely. And then he says, isn't that right? Murray small page. <laughs> another yeah, example of yeah. a double standard he said yeah no. wow yeah there's small page saying something that he wasn't he didn't meant to broadcast yeah, to everybody yeah, but nothing happened to him remember he that, got to if everybody just loved problem. one another yeah. we'd all it'd be a better place chalker said yeah, everyone yeah. just loved one another That's and then right. he lets small page walk no disciplinary action so yeah look he rattled the cage with this uh with this opinion piece that we published and gladly published because look, he, he, a man of integrity here who knew that it was time for him to stand up and be counted. And, um, I just thought it was great. I thought, you know, we, we have an obligation to do this. I mean, he understands what, you know, consequences could be, but he, he's saying, I can't just sit by anymore. I need to yeah. say something. And, yep. You know, I respect that personally and professionally. And as the editor, I respect that. So we ran it. Um, yeah, he, he had, uh, this dictatorship needs to end, he says, and the core values of this police force need to be reinstated. Integrity, loyalty, and courage. He said that that's, that's gone now. Um, members are frequently punished for, for good work and rewarded for mediocrity or poor performance. Um, they want to do good, but are eventually worn down the members here, particularly with the abuse of the Dacronian, draconian disciplinary system in place. Of course, we talked about those Section 79s being yeah. to, to keep people here in some, some cases, to keep officers in the NT because they can't leave if there's a disciplinary notice. Uh -huh. um, yeah, he says, uh, and it got really interesting here, too, at the end. Um, he says to the NT Police Association, President Paul McHugh, I genuinely believe, as do many others, this is the time for a vote of no confidence. I suspect if you don't, there might be a vote of no confidence for you. 
And then he says to the anti-corruption commissioner, Michael Riches, I hope ICAC is prepared to undertake this challenging investigation. So, you know, big words, big yeah, words. he's thrown everything out there. He said yeah. exactly what, what everybody we're talking to in the rank and file says, and even other people in police. Um, yeah, so this didn't go over well with, with Chalker and, and Small Page and the executive. So he gets shocked to hear that. Yeah, well, and we didn't know what to expect, but we knew that there'd probably be something now. What happens later that something day? Something draconian. Saturday. Yeah, exactly. Right. So what happens is this, they suspend him without pay. So the anti-police top brass has stripped the respected officer and father of two of his livelihood for speaking out against police commissioner Jamie Chalker in the, that opinion piece in the Anti-Independent, in which he called for the police force to restore its core values and hold a vote of no confidence against Chalker in the wake of the Zach Rolf matter. Um, you know, and this thing goes off, right? Like, I mean, you're getting hundreds of, of, of comments, you're getting shares, hundreds of shares. It's being shared a hundred times with us, yeah. but it's being shared, I saw on other sites, hundreds of times, and yep. people are talking about it, and we can see the reads coming in, and everyone's talking about this. Uh, but for some reason, they decide. I mean, here he is, 25-year veteran, saying he's never seen it this bad before. And he went through McRoberts. McRoberts went to jail. <laughs> McRoberts went to jail for perverting the courts of justice while he was commissioner. Yeah. And he's saying this is worse. And um, and that they're taking this authoritarian approach. And then sure enough, they come out and say, We're we're, you know, you're suspended without pay. Now there have been people, cops charged with rape who retain their pay. They're suspended, but they're suspended on pay. You know, drug offenses, firearm offenses, other violent acts that they're alleged to have, have, have committed, um, they get to retain their pay. But a guy who speaks out, who stands up, who, who displays integrity, well, Jamie Chalker's not having that. So we're going to take him out right now and we're going to take his pay with him. But I think when they did that, they went too far and everybody knew that. And the comments came even worse than they were in support of, of that opinion piece saying this guy's right and Chalker's you got to go. There's got to be a no confidence vote. They were now saying this is just this is crazy. Now this has gone too far. Um, yeah, and 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 he kind of just like I think the word of somebody and I can't say, but somebody very senior who knew about it all was saying Chalker's just digging his grave deeper and deeper by acting like this and taking retaliatory action like this on a respected cop who's been there. So yeah, so we got into that now. They wouldn't comment. We couldn't. Uh, I don't think we got the NTPA that day, and uh, Sergeant Casey declined to comment. But his father had taken to um, social media. Yes, and, and I really like. I saw this. his comments. Yeah, I completely you, agree. Yeah, uh, like it, it. just seems like they're good men here, and a good family. And he says, he says, you know, Mark has always been passionate about and dedicated to his job. When I spoke to him about this this morning. He said too many people were hurting, especially over the fallout of Constable Rolf. Too many members are being disciplined for such minor and trivial things, and members have lost respect for the majority of the hierarchy. The respective associations need to step up and support their members. My son is my full support, pride, integrity, and guts. A heartfelt thanks for all the support. One proud dad here. Yeah, nice words. Uh, that was great. Yeah, that yep. was good. Yeah, so, I completely agree. 
Yeah, and look, and then everybody else is on board here. Chalker's just screwed this up worse than than he could have if he left it alone. But he can't. I mean, that's like his mm. his whole fatal flaw here is that he has to keep digging. He has to keep pushing. He can't just take a step back. He's so thin skinned <laughs> that he can't even accept general criticism. He has to attack back and do something stupid. And I'm telling you, yeah, he's walking a fine line there. And anyway, we'll get into more things about, you know, investigations, alleged investigations into the anti-independent, into the free press. Mm. We spoke about it before. It seems it's been wrapped up. Um, you know, like it's abuse of office then. I mean, you're using uh, public resources to to fuel your own grudges against people. Um, and for what, for reporting the truth, we've not broken any laws. Anyway, um, so this goes on and it kind of goes there for, um, you know, with, with the, the Sergeant Mark Casey issue. And so he's with Opey. He's got two children. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Um, his penultimate line in the... Uh, and the opinion piece was a, a kind of a, a swing at Paul McHugh with the police association saying, you know, why are you stalling basically? Because mm. we all know he's stalling. Yeah. Why he's not doing this no confidence vote. So McHugh then goes out onto, uh, onto mix this week. And he says the empty police force overall is unwell. Uh. You know, that, that they're overstretched that the, you know, uh, you got officers who are taking sick leave just so they can get a break. Um, you know, it's just not the, the, the whole thing's collapsing, but he, and then, but he, he tries to stay away from criticizing Chalker. Everything is Nicole Madison's fault on this day and Chalker's uh-huh. fine. Now, at one point it gets to a thing where somebody writes in a question and says, is this guy compromised? Can we just ask him? <laughs> like, does Jamie Chalker have something on you, man? Have you exposed yourself? Have you, you know, to, 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 to being whatever, to being compromised? Um, and then he rejected that. And he said, no, that's uh, completely untrue. He's not compromised. But then he adds that the vote may not occur at all. Wow. So you remember we talked about this, that there are three yeah, branches, yeah. three union branches who've already done it, at least three. I think that there may be more, but you're talking over 100, 120 probably cops here. Um, and there, there's 12 overall and that they were going to do this. And he says, oh, we got to go talk to everybody. And it's a stall tactic. But then you've had got some movement on it. So he says, oh, we're going to we're going to discuss it at the uh at the annual conference, he says, and yeah, that's in August. And it's like, well, that's the first time you've said this. And then he goes on radio and he says, oh, yeah, well, we have to do it. That would be the place to do it. But, you know, it might not happen at all. Um, and it's like, wow, man, you're not reading this properly yeah. at all. Like, if you do not understand how many like his own members want this. Um, yeah. And, and just laying the blame on everybody. He also said, so he says, so he was asked if. That was, quote unquote, if he had been exposed. Um, and he says that's completely untrue. Our job is to put those motions to our full regions to have a discussion about. It doesn't mean it happens overnight. It doesn't mean it won't happen, but it, it also may not happen. It's nonsense to suggest we're compromised. So it also may not happen. Um, then he said, we got to stop pointing fingers and start working together. That's uh, from the book of Jamie. The love one another, doesn't he? So that's his catchphrase, love each other. And he kisses yeah, yeah. his fingers and blesses us all. Um, anyway, this just was getting ridiculous. And in fact, so at one point here in this interview, well, he had said, look, it's not like the union can can walk in and say, your time's up, commissioner, move on. Adding that the no confidence motion could be debated at the annual conference in August. 
you know, we can only express the views of the membership and that's what we'll do when we have the opportunity to debate the matter. But I mean, it's just been escalated. The calls have been escalated for this no confidence motion in Chalker and Murray small page, um, which uh, yeah, ramped up after Casey's uh, opinion piece. Mm. Um, now McHugh says this about it. He says, we're not condoning what he did. This is Sergeant Casey. We're not condoning right. what he did. McHugh said, adding that the union was nonetheless providing support to Sergeant Casey. He did say that he thought it was harsh, the suspension without pay, um, and that they were working to have the suspension overturned with the department. But yeah, that, that was as far as he went. Oh, it's a, it's yeah. a bit harsh. Now, this is, this is ridiculous. He says this, though, too. And this is the weird thing. He says, we're helping him, Sergeant Casey, through what's a very difficult time. And you know, the bigger picture is why did he feel the need to do that? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Why did he? Yeah, he, he actually asked Ask that. yourself that question. Yeah. So, like, he's completely out of this, clearly. Like, he has no idea. Uh, uh, Chalker, uh, you know, how does the head of the union not understanding why his members are so frustrated that one of them has to say, I'm going to stand up and say what needs to be said. Mm. You know why he did? Because McHugh's not listening to them. McHugh's mm. not doing his job. And I wouldn't be surprised if there is, if there isn't talk about a no confidence motion on McHugh at some point too. You know, some people that I've talked to are still saying there's something going on here. Right. I've been saying this week after week. Why is he stalling? And if anybody can sniff it out, it's a cop. <laughs> yeah, let's let's hope because yeah, there's more stuff. So anyway, so look, all of that. We're at that place now. This morning on Thursday morning, um, they bring out. Well, now Jamie Jockers apparently he's gone somewhere. We don't know where he is. Golf. A, yeah, that's what somebody suggested. Um, we don't know exactly, but his uh, he brings in, well, you know, there's somebody doing the media rounds now, and this is to discuss some issues with water, among other things. But he puts out um, uh, Michael Murphy, who they're calling the acting commissioner. But it doesn't appear that, that you know, maybe the delegation wasn't made properly. I don't know. We're, we're looking into that of why Chalker just suddenly vanishes. In this. What did the deputy commissioner be the acting commissioner? Yeah, well, that's it. So where's yeah. A5 here? Where's Small Page? <laughs> and, uh, Golf as well. We don't know. Now, it gets interesting what, what Murphy says. Now, and I just got to say this, that any time one of these senior cops is on radio, and you guys like hear it or hear that they're coming up, listen in because it's hit, always entertaining. Hit record. Yeah, because these guys, they have no idea what they're doing media wise. <laughs> like, I don't know who's training them. I guess it's Rob Cross. I guess it's the media manager, Rob Cross. But wow, wow, these guys just do not get it when they get on there. Like, they are in such a cop bubble over at the Peter McCauley Center, wherever they are, like in the mm -hmm. bowels of that building, just talking to other cops. And then they're allowed out on radio and it's like, oh, my God, you guys. Um, <laughs> so Murphy comes out and he says that, uh, and this is about ooh, 10, 10 this morning, maybe a little bit before. And he says uh, uh, that the Casey, yeah, we, we talked about Casey, but he said um, that Casey, had, he was asked about it and he's, well, he's spoken outside the code of conduct and needed to be suspended as police officers were accountable for what we say and what we do. He said, I'm ex highly accountable to the public, highly accountable to the chain of command up to the office of commissioner. Murphy added that the police association had written to the executive about the suspension of Sergeant Casey 
and his sister, and that they were looking at that. The suspension without pay, um, as we stated, has outraged the community with hundreds of comments flooding social media condemning the police brass for the heavy-handed tactic. Now, this is, um, he actually says here, he says that the, pay, that the decision to withhold the pay was made by small page. However, as we report here, the Police Administration Act states that the commissioner has the authority to withhold pay from suspended officers. Now, this became an issue on the weekend with people saying, does the commissioner decide who keeps their pay and doesn't, or does the minister? And there may be other jurisdictions in Australia uh, where the minister makes the call because they're a little more out of the heat of the, yeah, the yeah. argument here, right? Yeah, slightly more objective potentially. Yeah, and we'll get recommendations from the commissioner. But anyway, here it is. It is the commissioner. But for some reason, Michael Murphy's gone on there and he said, you know, um, the authority to withhold pay is a consideration by the delegated authority to suspend with or without pay, which is at the level of deputy commissioner. On this decision, on this occasion, the decision was made to suspend without pay and then allowing for seven days of natural justice. Now, and that's interesting because if it was Small Page who did it, well, Small Page is criticized in that thing as much as Chuck. Remember that line about yeah, things yeah. being said in private? And yep. isn't that true? So, you know, what kind of stuff like where where are we at where, you know, these disciplinary measures are being treated by the people that have, you know, that are affected by I it. Mentioned. Yeah, the, the, yeah. The, yeah, like this is just getting a little weird. Anyway, so um, he was asked to about like, well, what about this? So with, how do you decide who gets suspended with pay? I mean, you've had serious offenders. People have been found guilty of things, haven't been paid um, yep. of crimes, like real crimes. Uh, and he said, yep. He said, uh, and now this was weird too. He conceded that there should be more consistency about when we suspend with or without pay. That's fair. But he says, there are some things that I'm quite comfortable suspending people without pay. If an officer commits a sexual offense against a colleague or there's racist kind of conduct, the more serious offending in the workplace, he said. And we wrote here, it was unclear why Murphy was so specific about the sexual offense comment or if he also meant a sexual offense against anyone. Not just yeah. a colleague. <laughs> yeah. That seems a particularly pointed statement, doesn't it? Yeah. So um, now this was when we started getting um, uh, comments. Well, we started hearing from people. It was after this, about 45 minutes after something that, um, yeah, we had heard from sources that they had lifted that. Uh, well, they reinstated Sergeant Mark Casey's pay. Right. He's back on pay with the suspension. With back pay? <laughs> yeah, for this week here. I don't know. How that's going to go. But um, yeah, look, I think that they realized that that was, you know, that was definitely not the right thing or, or meeting community expectations, as they like to say. You know, that's the irony of the guy saying, well, we're highly accountable to the public and everything. Well, yeah. So, of course, so this just inflamed the whole situation and has made everything worse for Chalker and Small Page and whatever other clowns are up there. Uh, yeah, and he's downplaying. So now Murphy's downplayed the growing resentment within the rank and file against Chalker and Small Page, claiming that it's only a small faction of officers who want a territory-wide no-confidence vote. Well, and then just go and do it like now, like and see. Yeah, just correct. Just go and see. Um, but he says, yeah, I think there's a small faction who are agitating. And as I've said it before, it's a distraction. It's a distraction from the majority of our hardworking police officers who come to work with purpose every day. You know how you end a distraction? You just get rid of it. 
<laughs> you just get rid of it. And that's, I mean, that's like the, the politics 101 thing of all of this. And Chalker likes to think he's a politician. If you become too much of a distraction that you're affecting how your officers are doing their job, it's time for you to go. You don't need a no confidence vote anymore. Mm. It's just time to go. So anyway, or look. if it's only a small faction, have the no confidence vote because yeah, you're going to win anyway, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Just prove it. Just prove it then, and get it done, and get it out yeah. of the way, and then it's not yeah. distract. You make the distraction go away. That's what I'm saying. There are options yeah. here. But these guys are just going to let this drag on. Paul McHugh, again, is still stalling for this territory-wide vote. We don't know what's going to happen. I liked, um, we talked about Mark Casey's father and his comments. His yes. sister, incidentally, this morning had come out and made some comments, too. And she said, if I know one thing about my brother, it's that he wholeheartedly upholds the core values of the police force, integrity, loyalty, and courage, she wrote. He will not stand by and let someone use bullying tactics against other members of the force. So, Mr. Chalker, she wrote, maybe the power's gone to your head lately and you've forgotten what being a police officer is all about. So do the right thing and suspend him with his pay and then resign before a vote of no confidence is called for. And don't forget to take your incompetent band of executive officers with you while you're at it. Because it will happen eventually. Once one voice speaks out, others will follow. Wow. Strong words. So, yeah. So she, that's where we're at. Is she a police all. officer? Uh, I don't believe she was, but it, it looks like the she had said, you know, my, my whole family are police officers. And okay. so she's always respected what police officers Of course. Yeah, I was just hoping yeah. she wasn't suspended without pay as well. <laughs> yeah. No, she's in her state somewhere. I know that she had said that and that she had, yeah, that her, her siblings and everybody was within three states. Yeah. Oh, wow. In three states. So. Yep. Yep. So that's where we're at with the Sergeant Marquesi affair right now. He remains, uh, you know, despite them coming to their senses a little bit and giving him his payback so he can support his family. Um, yep. The thing about that too, Chris, you know, when you read things um, sometimes, and, and that's why I really liked the words from the father because they were considered, they were, you know, very, uh, I guess, well positioned. Um, but likewise, with um, Sergeant Casey's uh, writing, it it was very well structured, very well put together. This was not the ramblings of someone that was, mm. you know, the fellow that resigned and just went to town on, old mate last year this this was not like that this was mm. this was a bloke who's been in the force for a long time who has had enough and mm. loves what he does and obviously it's it's within the family and just you know couldn't not voice his opinion any longer mm -hmm. because he sees the integrity of his whole world is breaking down because of what's going on that's it. Yeah, that's why I thought it was so powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah, and to have his father come out and say, you know, I'm proud of my son for doing what's right. Yeah. You know, like that's the thing. Like we raise our children to do that, to, to stand up for what's wrong, you know, and say, I'm not going to let this happen anymore. Yeah. We don't raise our children to be, uh, to become authoritarians, to, to take a position of power and bully and intimidate people mm. and go after. We don't teach that. But yet that's what happens to this other guy here who, yeah. uh, who's become the commissioner. And, and these other people have to stand up and say, we're not going to let you do that anymore. And mm. yeah, that was that that takes courage. That takes courage. It and does. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm 
yeah, I'm glad we ran that piece. I don't have any regrets about that. And I know that, that, um, I, I know that he's happy that he said something. And I think yep. his sister's words there, cause it will happen eventually, Jocker leaving. Once one voice speaks out, others will follow. Let's see yeah, what happens next. Strong words. Mm. Right. Well, on the subject of distractions, Chris, <laughs> uh, mm. here's another one that doesn't seem to go away. The uh, fire alarm system discrepancies at the TIO Stadium have now been revealed. Yes. I it that's an NT independent exclusive. That is right. Now, of course, that follows that um, the story last week that we discussed about how the, the fire alarm system, nobody has denied this. This is, but we know that this is actually true. We've seen photos and they've said this now, but they've disabled the fire alarm system at TIO Stadium. Now, there's an issue with that. There's many issues with that, but one is, of course, that the building is not safe, that emergency exits are not proper. They can't get it certified. Um, there's electrical issues. There's fire hydrant water pressure issues. There's a bunch of other things that are going on there that we know that we've reported on from engineers' reports. So we run that story before the NRL game between Parramatta and North Queensland on Saturday. I think we ran that on, on the Thursday. And, uh, uh, yeah, we started getting some, some answers by Friday. But we started thinking, like, you know, how can the NRL do this? We went to the NRL and said, like, how can you let people into a stadium that, one, is not safe, not certified, and two, that has the fire alarm system deactivated? Um, and they come back. It, it took a while. We went to the first day. I think it was Friday. We finally heard back from them. And they said, hey, look, you know, NT major events has, has assured us that the building's fine and we can play in it. So we went to NT major events. But by that point, it's Friday afternoon. They're not responding. Um, I think they sent me something saying we're not responding. And we've given our Diplo's given a statement to ABC. Anyway, it was uh, just ridiculous. Um, so we went to the AFL and T. Now, here's how it works, and this is how we finally figured out how this works. So AFL and T is the, the tenant, the occupant of TIO Stadium. So most of those events that are run there, AFL and T runs, including grand finals. So when they, when they isolated the fire panel system, which meant that no alarm signal was going to fire authorities, they said that they had done that before, that this was something that they did. Uh, that it was part of a procedure that involved qualified technicians. And they said positioned at TIO Stadium to monitor the system. It does not impact the fire alarm system's ability to detect smoke or fire. But this was the part. In the event of a fire, the spokeswoman from AFL and T said, technicians will activate the system, which will in turn alert the, the NT Fire and Rescue Services. So... Think about that. I mean, they've admitted there that the system is not active, that they then determine if a fire breaks. So they then go and see, oh, okay, well, yeah, that looks serious. Let's get people out. So we had, you know, and, and we, and we've got to be careful and protect this person, but a fire services expert, and let's just say with lots of experience in the NT, um, told the independent that that practice of isolating the fire panel system could ultimately cost lives. And it creates delays, confusion, and mistakes in the event of a real emergency. Um, even if they have someone on site, the source said uh, the delay would be many minutes and they would need to respond to the panel to see what alarm is active, check if there's a fire, and then activate the fire brigade. If this is the plan they have, it is dangerous and it will cost lives if there is an incident. 
They're saying they have technicians there to respond to a fire alarm instead of firefighters. Technicians are not firefighters. They're generally specialized electricians. If that is their plan, it has been made without any professional consultation. And this is somebody who saw what AFLNT's statement was and said, that's not right. That is not. So here we go, right? So then we're, we're, we run this story because we didn't get it back to, from everybody until Friday night. We run this Saturday morning and the game is, is going on that night. Now, what did we think was going to happen? I mean, I thought that, well, you know, since AFLNT is claiming this is established practice and it's fine. Oh, and they had also said that the fire and rescue services people have, are notified when the uh, the fire panel is deactivated. Now, I don't really know what that means. They notify them. And, and I do know that it's registered with in their database system that they would know every time it's deactivated because there's no signal coming and it's basically turned off the switch. Um, so we thought, OK, well, yeah, I guess they're going to do this then. They'll deactivate it for that Saturday night game. And this is just crazy because that, that building's not safe. Um, but as I was saying, what we found out was that NT major events were the ones holding this NRL game. They were in charge of the management of this. So remarkably, I think somebody made a comment, oh, look at you people, you journalists writing about how they did their job right. And you think that's a new story. <laughs> I had to laugh like you clearly didn't read the other stories, idiot. Because um, what they did on Saturday night was they didn't disable the fire alarm system, which again, should be the basic minimum here expected. Wow. But they actually left it so that if an incident had happened, the authorities would have been alerted. The people in the building would have been alerted. Everyone would have known what was going on. So now why do they switch? Why are the why is there a discrepancy yeah, here? Why? Yeah. <laughs> well there's a stench of NT independent on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, in March, in, at the end of March, it's good enough to turn off the system. But on Saturday they decided now we better have it on. That and we had a, a bunch of people. That was a local game versus a national game. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's crazy because yep. We had a bunch of people sending us photos from that night of the panel too. That was we thought oh, that was funny. And you had like the technicians. They weren't technicians either. Yeah, no, they were like playing video games on their phones. <laughs> like I was gonna run some of them and blur their faces because <laughs> but anyway, the 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 shocking thing for us was that it was actually activated, it was in the normal position. Um now nobody is explaining the anti-government dipple, our mate Mark Meldrum, the building controller. The Minister Eva Lawler is under investigation by the ICAC for this kind of silliness. And uh, Andrew Kirkman, the chief executive of Dipple, not commenting. NT Major Events Company, not commenting. AFLNT. Um, we even cc Sean Bowden, who's the chair of AFLNT, into our follow-up questions. Nothing. They don't want to explain. Okay, guys, I'm asking AFLNT, why are you isolating that panel? Why are you deactivating that alarm for events? When you're there, when you're hosting them, but now we've got it that major events didn't. I don't know what the hell's going on there, but this is this is serious public safety stuff at this point. And, for, and, it, and it has been, and it has been for years here when we've been talking about this too. But for this stuff where they're monkeying around with fire alarms and stuff, I just find that really disturbing, uh, especially that it isn't that safe. So um, I don't know where they go from here. Like we know that the ICAC's investigating. But this needs to be done. This needs to be done quickly. This isn't an 18-month job here now. 
this needs to be done when you're, you're putting people in there. I mean, did the ICAC, was the ICAC involved? He has powers, you know, that if he comes into knowledge of an event that is a public safety risk, he has the power to take action about that, you know. Was he involved in making sure that that alarm system was on? I mean, they just won't answer our questions about why the, the alarm system was left on that time when it wasn't before. We've got the photos side by side to prove that. Uh, I, I don't know. Like I said, I just I think we've got to get to the bottom of exactly what the hell happened here. How safe? Well, we know it's just unsafe. It's not certified. But what is the solution here? And and how are these people who've been doing this stuff going to be hold, held accountable because of you know something what, happened? You know what? It's really it's crazy. interesting with all of this, Chris. Is like if this was an ordinary residential house, you know, wouldn't the fire department or, or some department jump on them like a ton of bricks? We've we've gone to them too, Leon. Yeah, absolutely. If this was a private business trying to do this stuff, like, I mean, just wouldn't happen. So, you know, yeah, the authorities would be all over them. But here, the, it's like the fire people, they don't want to comment on it. They've clearly been working with the government. You would think that they have to get them in to look at stuff. But they're just not saying anything. So is it like double standards here where they're letting the government get away with stuff? But this is like putting more people at risk. I'll tell you what, if there was a fire at TIO Stadium, it would be an, a lawyer's banquet. Mm, mm, yeah. Yeah. We talked about negligence and the other issue here. And, oh, Jesus Christ. So, yeah, we, we definitely don't want to see that. But that's why I think the ICAC needs to get this done quick, this investigation. We need to get a solution here that, that keeps the community safe. And because we know some dodgy stuff's gone on just the past weekend. So, um, yeah, let's get this done quick. I think banquet's a pretty poor choice of words there too, Leon. What would you say? Well, you know, fire, barbecue, it's all a bit closely aligned, banquet. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just trying to make a point. Field day. And then when, you know, a yep. catastrophe happens, say, oh, you know, I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. And the thing about all this is too that it could be a perfectly legitimate answer to this. But the fact that Chris has asked everyone on the face of planet Earth that may have anything to do with it, um, yeah. and the NRL saying, "Oh, well, they told us it's fine," you know, um, that—that's, I guess, that's a response. But everybody in the Northern Territory who's got anything to do with it is just not answering the question, which, in itself, tells you there's something that they yeah. don't want you to know. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I even went like talking about going to everybody. I even went to the NRLs insurer. <laughs> yeah, and I said, like, you know, you have this policy about keeping children safe and stuff. I mean, what are you doing about the your own fans, like the NRL's fans and their children going to this event? Anyway, nobody got back to me. Nobody got back to me. AFLNT did finally, after the first story ran, to just say, oh, this is our process and this is fine. Though we have a fire expert saying, no, it's not fine. And then they didn't adhere to it on the Saturday night. Uh, so, yeah, it's crazy. Bad stuff. Side note, great win for the Cowboys on Saturday night too, beating the uh, Parramatta Eels. And watch the Eels this weekend because coming up and playing in Darwin uh, in April or early May, I think it was April, um, the, that weather will take a lot out of a Sydney-based team. So mm. often they can't win the next week either. So anyway. <laughs> so I can see Leon cares a lot about that statement. <laughs> <clears throat> right, let's move on to the next story. And uh, another uh, story that won't seem to go away related to the turf club, <laughs> Darwin, yes. uh, Darwin businesswoman, Anya Lorimer, 
misled the Turf Club board over ICAC dealings, according to documents that have been revealed. Chris, tell us. Well, this one, you guys remember back in, um, I think it was end of January, early February, it's revealed that, uh, that Anya Lorimer, former Garmin Turf Club board member, uh, had been secretly recorded by ICAC investigators when she met with them for an interview. Yep, um, I remember. Discussion, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it was being beamed back to a FBI style. Yeah, well, then we find that out. We found that out later, right? So at first, it's weird that it's secretly recorded, and that comes out, and the NT News had that story, and the ICAC apologizes to her, the new current one, and he said, oh, it's not illegal to record a conversation, but... Um, it shouldn't have been done in this case without you being made aware. Uh, now, what we've got here now, so then, look, there's a, a, a matter, one of the people who had a, adverse findings um, against some Damien Moriarty, one of the board members, he's suing the ICAC now. And so all of this stuff with the recording comes out that the ICAC tenders it as part of his his matter, it's all this information comes like the transcripts from Anya Lorimer's interview, um, her section 147 directions order of what, you know, that she can and cannot say and that she was required to give information to the ICAC that comes out. So you start piecing these things together where you just look at it. And then, you know, we had this other email. So what we can tell you happened here is that she wrote a letter to the current board of the Turf Club on January 11th of this year saying, you know, what was me? And she was this, this sob story about uh, how difficult her life has been since the ICAC investigated her and how she got kicked off the board. Um, and then she says in that email, uh, look, I, I did not meet with the ICAC. I didn't talk to them. Um, uh, she sends that on January 11th, like I said, around February 1st, so three weeks later, the story breaks that she had met with the ICAC and, in fact, was recorded. Um, and so she's kind of caught out in this thing. Now, why did she tell the board that she didn't meet with them? And then it came out this. Are now, allowed to, though? I thought you're not allowed to talk about that. No, no. This is it, though, Leon. So this is after. Right. So this is when everything's all done. This is just January this year. So the report comes out last June, remember, and everybody goes through it. So everything's done. Those orders well, cease to have effect after the information becomes public. So she decides in January, everything's over here. I'm going to write this story because we understand she's trying to get back on the board. So she writes this long meandering email talking about how hard done by she was by everything, but how she always stuck up for the, the turf club. She didn't meet with the ICAC. <laughs> well, then three weeks later, it's revealed that she did meet with the ICAC back in 2020 when it was an active investigation and she was given these orders. Now, the other thing that she does in this is that she says she seems to have misled the board when she claimed she was issued a gag order by the ICAC in May 2021. And that was the ICAC tendered that to court. We could see it. But what it also said on there was that it was, a, in fact, first issued. She was first issued a directions order in September 2020, just days before she was interviewed by the office of the ICAC. And what it says in that order is that she is she is required to give information or an item under specific sections of the ICAC Act. So for her to say, and, you know, she played that off like, oh, it's just a friendly chat. No, she was actually given a directions order three days before she sat down there to have that. 
discussion and being told you are required to give information on this. Uh, this was the coffee? Yeah. Yeah. This was three days before this coffee thing. So the, the coffee what does the thing? item mean? Yeah, I don't know. It, like if she she's has got, documents. She's got to bring a gift or? <laughs> yeah. Just some sort of documents or any uh, evidence. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, but, but, and that's the thing. So, okay. So all of this happened and that's fine. That's the nature of an investigation. But then why does she go to the board and just tell them untruths? And, you know, she gets into this all about how, uh, you know, and I guess she could be expelled for that too, for misleading the board because she's still a member. She gets into, and I, and look, I'm not going to get into all of this stuff, because, but it was a bizarre email for a professional, a supposed professional to write. Uh, she made a number of extremely personal claims in the email about her health and close relationships being affected by the ICAC investigation, provided no medical evidence to support those claims. I, I did say, though, she's including that the stress had caused her to experience, quote, the erratic mood swings of early menopause. Oh, my goodness. She thought that the board, a professional board, should hear that from a supposedly professional businesswoman. And then she said, like all high-functioning professionals, I hit it well most of the time, she wrote, later suggesting the email was not seeking sympathy. It was really cringy. Um, she also said, yeah, look, when she would criticize us in the email too, so I thought that I should put that in, that she uh, could not respond to our questions last year. Uh, they were sent to all board members, referencing minutes from board meetings that showed that Dixon had been involved in discussions about the grandstand that had contradicted previous claims because of the gag order, she said. Um, but we say, yeah, she made no effort at the time to inform this publication of that. I believe one of them did at one point and said, look, legally, I've got legal advice. I can't answer your questions. And that's what a professional does. And that's fine. And we get that. She just did not comment. And then later said, oh, I couldn't do that because of that. You know, that's how it goes, that those are the rules when an ICAC investigation happens. And so I get that. I just don't get why you start rewriting history and telling the board that, no, I never met with them. And then she finds out three weeks later. And, you know, it, it was implied in some of the stories this week that she was seeking that she may, she wouldn't comment on whether or not she was going to sue the ICAC over this, the recordings. I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. You're not suing for anything here. And because you, you haven't told the truth to the board about everything. Did she potentially yeah. misconstrue the coffee for? Uh, an official interview or it seems that way that like i mean yeah. i guess how would she have wanted that would she wanted to be drug in dragged into the thing in front yeah. of the commissioner or would she rather have a friendly what she thinks is a friendly chat yeah either way she was required to provide evidence to according to yeah. that to that first directions order that she did not tell the board about she told them she didn't get it until may so yeah anyway so I don't, yeah, I don't know where it goes for her. I'm guessing that, uh, you know, they've got an annual uh, conference coming up. The Turf Club board does uh, later this month. Um, Everyone's got annual conferences coming up. Yeah, where they're going to vote in a new board. I guess people can put their names forward. I'm, I'm guessing that she won't at this point after this. How long's um, the other board? Other board's only been on for less than 12 months, haven't they? Yeah, no, yeah, it was. Yeah, when was it? Like last August or it's something. It's like an interim yeah. board or... Yeah, I don't know how they're, how they're playing. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, they come up with that $12 million yet to hand back to the government? Uh, yeah, no, look, and nothing further on that. I know somebody had sent me that. I think the petition that, that Sid Sterling's circulating because everybody right. feels sorry for Sid Sterling. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, sure, Sid. Where can we all sign up? We're all hardworking territorians. We want to support you, right? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. Um, No, so nothing about that. The other thing with this whole thing, too, I mean, you've still got, so you have Moriarty's case that was heard now. Um, That's to come back with a decision or for a decision now. Uh, Dixon and his business partner, Matthew Moss, and the Turf Club themselves, too are still suing the ICAC to get those findings of improper conduct against them or corruption, whatever it may be, uh, quashed. So we'll see what happens. And that's the, the ridiculous part of this too, I guess, because the stakes are so low for Anya Lorimer that she puts herself in the middle of all of this. Um, there were no specific adverse findings against Anya Lorimer, but she did have to be a part of this, I guess, and continues to be for unknown reasons. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, we'll see where, where the rest of this goes. No decision yet on Moriarty. I guess maybe we'll get that first, but I think Dixon's up in July or August or something. It was scheduled the last time I checked. Um, so we'll see. We'll see where this goes, but it's going to just keep coming up until, and yeah, where that $12 is going to come from or who's actually going to be held accountable for it eventually. Well, we'll see. All right. Well, uh, let's get on to something a little bit different. Uh, although, something lighter, Leon. Come well, on. it is, it is <laughs> lighter, but it, it may also be fairly heavy for different reasons, Chris. Darwin fuel prices, highest in the country. What the heck is going on here, Chris? Yeah, well, look, that uh, excise tax relief never happened here. It's basically it. We were, not only are we the highest, like next to Hobart, which is pretty close, but... um. We also have had this, the, the lowest decrease in prices when everyone else, when it got cheap in other places, it stayed high here. And this is, uh, according to these, these figures released by the government uh, just the other day, and that was for the month of April. So we know that in March, there were, that's when it really kind of spiked up. And then, um, yeah, you expected things to come down at the end of March, but now it's just all stayed there. It stayed at like, what is it still today? 185. I mean, it's been like that for over a month and it's fluctuated in other places. And yet here we are, we're still there. 185.7 is what it was, uh, which was yeah cheaper bit from the previous month, but it's 45 cents costlier than this time last year. Yeah, so these figures were released just two weeks after the AANT reported Darwin's high fuel costs to the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission to investigate. There's no reason why we shouldn't be seeing prices in the low to mid 160s, said AANT Chief Executive Anthony Hill, late April, I think just a week ago or so. Um, yeah, prices had plummeted uh, in the rest of the country after Frydenberg, Treasurer Frydenberg, announced the federal government would have it's 44 cents per liter fuel excise tax for two weeks after prices skyrocketed at the end of March. And the savings did not appear to be passed on to motorists by Darwin fuel retailers. Uh, so the average retail price, I guess, was for the month of April was 171. Again, we're paying 185. Uh, yeah, which was lower in April, but it was yeah 30 cents higher than the same time last year. Um, yeah, and then Darwin too. Oh, sorry, the uh, Diesel in Darwin too was still the highest to uh, nearly two dollars. Yeah, one ninety eight three for uh, yeah of all the capital cities for the period in review. Well, boys, if it makes you feel any better, it's still hovering around one eighty where I am. Mm. Fluctuates between low to mid one seventies to mid one eighties 
So I don't know where um, they're getting these numbers from. Maybe obviously Queensland usually skews that figure because they're usually cheaper. But uh, certainly in uh, in Victoria, it's not uh, it's it's not 160s. It's never hit 160s even mm-hmm. since the fuel excise. Yeah. Uh, well, the, I'm going to try and take comfort in that. But the fact that you, um, the fact that you, it, it does fluctuate at all is good. I mean, I've been waiting. I tell you this, I haven't filled up when it got to be like that one, whatever. And yeah. I thought, you know, it's going to come down and I'll wait yeah. and I'll fill up when it comes. It has not come down. It's not come down from 185 in many weeks. And I know we have to be very careful with the terminology that we use because we've talked about this subject before and, you know, there's certain terms you're not allowed to use because you're accusing these companies of doing things together uh, that they shouldn't be. But I live in a town where there's about six petrol stations. They're all the same I, price. <laughs> and, I, and they're all the same price. And if one changes, the other five change. Yeah. So you tell me what's going on. I'm, I'm sure that United's not paying the same wholesale price as Shell or BP or whatever. Um, on the exact same moment in time, unless they're buying from the same wholesaler, which they wouldn't be. So I don't know how the prices change like that, but you can be guaranteed within 20 minutes, all the prices will change to whatever the leading one's on. Yeah. And then that's it. Like I remember years ago, Giles did his whole fuel price summit. Yep. And we never got any closer to figuring out, yeah, you don't want to call it collusion. I'll call it collusion. But that, I mean, that is essentially what it is that they clearly all work together and they know the prices. And, and what we were told was um, do you remember when they had that summit and, and all the, there was representatives from the different. Yeah, uh, the major. Yeah, uh, they're all there. And, and they basically said, look, cost of freight. It's just, yeah. it, you know, it's just too difficult for us, that's the price. The price is the price, so that's okay. And then the government came out and said, we'll gift a piece of land to any operator that says they'll guarantee that the fuel prices are Mm. $0.10 a litre cheaper than anybody else. Yeah, I remember. Suddenly we saw the price adjust. Yeah. It came down a lot. Yeah, it did come down, man, after that summit it did. Yeah. Yeah, but But it's back up. gradually worked its way back. Yeah, yeah, because there's such a spotlight on it then that they yeah. had to start acting in accordance with it. But it always seems like Darwin, yeah, as long as I've been here, that doesn't get the prices, the, the change in the terminal gate price is not yeah, seen true. here until much later. There's a delay and a massive yeah. delay, whereas yeah. everywhere else the price will change. And, and we're getting it here. We have it here. Like, and it always did my head in because we have a major port. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And the price is set in Singapore. Yeah. We're closest to Singapore, and yet we're the ones that cop it through the nose more than anyone else. Anyway, if someone mm-hmm. can figure out this conundrum and let us know what it is, <laughs> catch us through all the socials, just ping us a message. <laughs> yeah. um, another topic that's close to my heart and Leon's, I must admit, uh, Qantas cutting one Darwin to London flight ahead of schedule. Now, we always knew yeah. there was bloody Perth opened up again, that they'd be out the back door as soon as they could. <laughs> Why have they done this, Chris? Uh, to spite Michael Gunner. He was the one. He didn't think. He thought Fair that call. they'd stay here and uh, and continue to do this. But no. So what they're saying now is that they moved it back to Perth three weeks earlier and then scheduled as the routes. Um, that the, that route that was operating uh, was operating with reduced passenger numbers, so not a lot of people taking it, due in part to the Russia-Ukraine war, the company said. So 
They also said with the effective closure of the Russian airspace, flights had to carry extra fuel to fly an alternative longer route. They will now depart from Perth. This is the, the Qantas flight QF9-10-10, um, starting May 23rd, the national carrier is previously scheduled to return to Perth in June, June 19th. Uh, there was Does anybody called BS on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking where, at what they said here. The, it was just a statement that we had. Um, where's the plane flying? Yeah, I'm trying to find Earth that for you. They did to London that it's going to worry about the Ukraine Russian war. <laughs> the majority of passengers, um, uh, da, 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 no, that was that the NT government. He said, I'm trying to find this. I did see this somewhere. Uh, the, yeah. Um, and I'll tell you the other thing too is uh, midweek, uh, you guys would have seen that um, <laughs> there was some mighty annoyed passengers because of the all the uh, works going on, on the runway, and the London, to, the Darwin to London flight had to dump bags in Darwin, so people arrived mm -hmm. in London and their bags went on the flight. Huh. Three days without baggage. Yeah, that's with not the uh, <laughs> runway, I believe. Yeah, repairs to. Oh the yeah, that, that was another. They had issue, to have yeah. a reduced load so they couldn't. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like they took off like something quite significant, like six hundred meters or maybe even more. Yeah, uh, right. That was not usable, and that that created a problem for the takeoff. Now, <laughs> what I found really interesting was some of the comments on that article, Pete. Yeah, was. We've just been through two years of a pandemic. Yeah. Could they not have fixed yeah, it way back? Then? <laughs> there was, <laughs> Nobody there was bugger all planes flying. But but they also uh, um, I found the comment to be a little ambiguous that they were doing these repairs to the runway. Um, and part of it was referred to as scheduled maintenance. Mm. And then the wet season suddenly got blamed on it. So I wasn't yeah. sure if they were too sure what it was or whether it was just you know, throw boots and all in. Every answer you can possibly do so someone will buy one of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, kind of like this story, right? So the the this was the line that I was looking for from Qantas' statement. The flight path. So they said they were, they were returning the flight service to Perth ahead of schedule so that we can accommodate more passengers. The flight path from Perth to London is more direct which means we don't have restrictions on the number of passengers on this route. What? <laughs> yeah. oh, it's probably right, Pete. Yeah. Because, I mean, don't forget Darwin is a lot, you know, Darwin is nearly the same longitude as uh, as Adelaide. Yeah, I'm not sure what the, the But that doesn't make sense. Like, what does uh, Singapore go, hang on, that flight overhead, that needs 20 less passengers on it. Yeah, that, that part. Go figure. Yeah. That, I it doesn't what make sense. Yeah. Well, so, because they can, they can, because they don't have to fly as far, like in terms of time, they then they take less less fuel. So the flight from Perth to London so if a plane is quicker, <laughs> exactly with 150 passengers. <laughs> a flight from Nah, I'm sorry, I'm not buying it. Well, what do you mean? I, I, it seems reasonable to me. How how um. How many hours is the flight from Perth to London? And like how many 18. hours is the flight from Darwin to London? I think it's about 18. I think it may be an hour longer. So how many less passengers do they have to put on to make it? So it's about yeah. fuel. It's not about bloody Russia. Yeah, yeah it's about fuel. Yeah. yeah. 
but 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 I can tell you uh, something else, and uh, <laughs> and I, I'm just going to wait for the for the blowback from you two. But but uh, here we go. As you well know, I'm going to I'm going to Helsinki in a couple of weeks, right? Mm. And I and I got a message from Finnair the other day saying uh, your flight is leaving an hour earlier because we've got to fly around Russia. Well, that's different. They're in a different part of Europe. <laughs> I'll cop and, that. And uh, I was thinking to myself, <laughs> and you're about to join NATO at the same time. Let's hope it flies right around Russia. The thing I did have to laugh at, though, not because I'm laughing at the passengers themselves, but uh, it, it made particular note of the fact that the bags that were dropped off in Darwin were economy class passengers. <laughs> yeah, screwing the little guy. Again. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. My, my flight back got diverted. Did I tell you that? No. Yeah. So um, I was supp- supposed to fly Los Angeles to Sydney. Yeah. And about two hours before the touchdown, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll check to see where the plane's going. And it's doing a dog leg to Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Oh, why? I just thought, oh, hang on a second. Like a fuel? Is there something wrong with this map? You know, what's going yeah. on? And then the captain comes on a few minutes later and says, oh, well, you guys would probably have already realized we've, uh, we've, we're diverting to Brisbane uh, because there's fog in Sydney and because we uh-huh. took off fully loaded, we don't have enough fuel to fly around. Ah, uh, muck around. Right? Wow. So they landed in Brisbane. Um, there was some sort of medical emergency on the plane because at one stage they were they were doing what they do in the movies. They were asking for a doctor. Someone needed a sleeping tablet, Leon. And, uh, <laughs> and two people were offloaded in Brisbane. Actually, it was two and and, and, and a young a, a young baby. So I think there may have been something. With were there handcuffs involved? Sure. No, no, no. Okay. So they were offloaded in Brisbane, and then um, and then we took off back to Sydney uh, and. Funnily enough, the the captain came on just before we took off and said, "So, uh, if you've been talking to your friends in Sydney, you'll know that there's there is no fog, or, or words to that effect, <laughs> right? Um, but uh, there may have been fog or something like that. And you know, for safety reasons, you know, we're always going to take the most uh, uh, okay. you know, the safest. They're out of fuel. Sounds like to <laughs> me something. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was, the old fog in Sydney trick to stop an hour <laughs> just to get a couple more litres of fuel at two bucks five a litre. <laughs> hey, uh, just before we head off, gents, um, I know we love our mixed job of the week segment. Well, I certainly do anyway. Um, I, I'm going to do a little bit different this week, though, but Chris and I did a job last week that the NT government are currently running for a digital marketer to do some search marketing and a few other things, and they're paying a poultice for. I mm. saw a job pop up this week, CDU, uh, advertising for a regional marketing manager, similar sort of uh, profile in terms of what they're looking for in the job. This is for someone to um, spearhead some marketing uh, towards Southeast Asia. I presume some more of those overseas students, Leon, that we uh, talked to the vice chancellor about. Um, this job, Chris, paying mm. ninety six to one hundred nine thousand. Mm. So approximately seventy grand less than yeah, the. Yeah, uh, they're not getting anyone. They're, they're not the getting the government's advertising for the A candidates. For what that a one. joke! Hey, they might get a yeah. few leftovers. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. 
Well, uh, but that that does portray that. That does show the discrepancy there. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, Leon's always saying it's twenty or thirty gram. Well, this is like fifty percent. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So. Um, Leon's going to have to offer a uh, guaranteed bonus every year, and yeah. uh, all They're sorts of doing that in government, aren't they? No, yeah. I'm saying you're going to have yeah. to to attract new candidates to. Uh, How, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, what do you do, Chris? Uh, yeah. I'm going to ask you before you go. Um, yeah. Your uh, NT Independent has taken a bit of a different. It's got a bit of a different look since I've come back. There's lots of ads in there. Uh, I'm getting confused at what's an article and what's a, a, a <laughs> sponsorship thing. Um, I was almost going to ask you to run this story on this this guy that uh, is a politician, a wannabe politician at least, and then <laughs> I read closely and it said paid content. Oh, yeah. Well, we got that up at the top. Yeah, we try to make that very clear. Um, you know they need to make money, Leon, right? Yeah, yeah. like with this election campaign, look, there were packages that were sent around and offered to all of the parties and all the candidates. I think I told you guys about that before. You and did. So this is how we I do it. I mentioned so, we'll offer them too, Chris. So. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, look, everybody, though, I think all of the parties, the two, yeah, all of the uh, major parties people would know have, have come on board here. So, um, yeah, there'll be stuff we, we clearly indicate that is paid content. On social media, too, there was a, yeah, we just have to make sure that everybody knows, you know, that there's some ads running and stuff on our social media pages, too, which is, you know, we've explained that before, that this is different than taking money from a government. And uh, this is a campaign. This is clearly a limited campaign thing. And we've tried to be as fair with everybody and just give them that now. Meanwhile, they can take advantage of that and do these ads with us, but we'll also be running things about all of them anyway, so everybody yeah. knows who they're voting for. And Smear look for campaigns. that early next week. The dirt files are getting dusted off. They'll be <laughs> <laughs> they'll be coming out too. Um, and then you'll just have factual things where everybody stands on everything too that you can look for early next week. Um, yeah, yeah. So. No, things have been going well here with us. We've got some sponsors too, uh, in terms of just the kind of day-to-day stuff that we're running, and things are looking pretty good. And but we will take your criticism on board there, Leon. And all. It's not criticism; it's just a comment. That, make that sure that. Don't yeah, take no, it to no, heart. Just, yeah, once you get through that pop-up ad at the top, it's still. Um, I think it's pretty good. We got the banners with everybody, and. Yep. Yeah. I'm interested to know how the NT Independent store is going and in particular the sales of red tape. How's that turning yeah, out? Yeah, the, the red tape one's been really popular. <laughs> um, you know, everybody was at the, from the office, I wasn't at things on, but um, a lot of people from the office, Owen and Woody and uh, and Joel and some other people and Courtney were all down um, at the Palmerston markets meeting people and selling the new product, the secret sauce. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, um, pick that up too. <laughs> it's all Secret refrigerated. Sauce. Yeah. Um, just check that the seal's not broken before you tuck in. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's all good. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And I look, I think that was successful. And uh, people are really liking some of the underwear, been a big seller too. For some reason, so people are liking that. The secret supporter <laughs> underwear. Yeah. It's been a huge hit. I love it. Yeah. All right, Chris. Well, as usual, it's been a pleasure. We'll catch you next week. Great. Thanks, guys. See you next week. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper. Weekends with Walsh. back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. We'll catch you then. 
You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to territorystory.com. The Territory Story Podcast. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.